right. Everybody have a fun day? Yeah? Anybody get wet out there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm still wet. <laughs> How many are ready for tonight? Hope you're ready. Hope you're ready. Tonight is probably the most important message of the whole weekend. It's the pivotal message. The, the message to come pivot off of this one tonight. I want your full attention. Kind of lean in. Let God really speak to you tonight. Say this with me. This is the night. I let God all the way in. This is the night. I let God all the way in. Let's go. Let there be light. A guy one day, he's uh, going to the park with his dog. He's got a mastiff. How many know what a mastiff is? Big dog, okay? Real big one. And he goes into a liquor store to get a bottle of water, and he ties his dog up to a park bench before he goes. And as he's in the store, the dog's sitting there tied to the park bench, it's on a four-way stop, and he sees across the, the four-way stop a cat. And he's like, whoo. And he launches toward the cat, and he gets to the end of his leash, snaps like this, and he rips the bench out of the ground, running after the cat. Cars are going through. They start sli- sliding, <laughs> squeaking. The cat takes off. He takes off this way to the cat. The bench slings around, smashes into a car. The cat paws, goes the other way. He keeps following the cat all through the intersection. The bench just hitting cars along the way, wreaking havoc. The guy looks up out the window and says, oh my gosh, he's his dog. He runs out there, gets the dog, walks him back over to the side of the building, unleashes the bench from the dog. So the question is tonight, what's on your bench? What's on your bench dragging around through your life? You know, you can get through life dragging our junk around, but it's going to cause a lot of destruction along the way. going to tie you down, going to be less of the life you want to live. Like in that story, the dog could get around, but he's just wreaking havoc on everything around him. And so with that thought in mind, we're going to go into this tonight's message. It's called, God is our light when we don't know what we don't know. Think through it now. You don't know what you don't know, right? Tonight, we're going to ask God to show us what we didn't know we didn't know. Let's read this little, this little description of tonight's message. So often from the harmful relationship-based events of our lives, think about that now, so often from the harmful relationship-based events of our life, we live in bondage to the spiritual strongholds in our lives that grew over time, and now we have become something or someone we were never intended to be. That describes a lot of people's lives. That described my life at one point in my life. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. We'll kind of break down this scripture and then get into it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. Remember when he said that? In the beginning he said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. So they all, the, God, the people hearing this story, they realize when, when Paul says here, the God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, they know that God created the world. He just spoke, and, and, the, and it came. He said, let there be light, and boom, there it was. So he's saying that God who said, 
light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts. He has shown the light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's just break it down a little bit. Shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. So there is this light of illumination that comes through knowing something. Remember, we don't know what we don't know. Tonight we're going to ask God, shine into our heart. God, show us what we don't know we don't know. So what is this knowledge of? It, it says it's the, about the glory of God, shining of who he is, his character, his ways, his love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, compassion. He's going to shine in our hearts the knowing of God, God's glory. What's the description, the characteristics of God showing into our hearts in the face of Christ? So knowing that all we need for our life is found in Jesus. You might have a lot of needs tonight. You're gonna, you, maybe you will find out tonight when we're done, hey, I have a lot of issues in my life that need help and all that help is in Christ the face of Christ keyword here is give says he's going to shine in our hearts and he's going to give us this gift of the light of knowing God tonight God wants to shine the light in our hearts to give you insight to know what you don't know about the brokenness the bondage of your life through Jesus as he begins to set you free. I say begins to set you free, it's a process. Tonight's message is gonna set you on a course for a process of healing. It's not a one day event, I want you to know. The day I got saved, that was one day. And then he took a few years to bring healing to the strongholds that were in my life from the events of my life over the course of my life. And that's how God does it. Tonight we're gonna talk about inventory. Inventory of your whole life, detailed list of what's on your shelf. How many know how inventory works? Anybody? Inventory? This, so you go in the grocery store and you got the cereal aisle, and you pretty much know there's, you know, there's Cocoa Puffs, and there's, you know, Fruity Pebbles and Lucky Charms. This, we know, we know kind of what's there. For the most part, we kind of know what's there. But to do inventory, we shut the store down, and you count every box. So it's a detailed description of what actually is there. There's 45 Cheerios. 210 po cocoa puffs, you know? So that's, that's inventory. And so tonight we're doing this. We're going to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Are you ready? This is inventory. To make a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Let's talk about those three words. Searching. We're going to search because we don't know. We haven't found it yet. That's what searching is. You're looking for something you haven't seen, you haven't found yet. So in the light of your inventory of your life, we're going to go searching. We're going to be fearless because it's going to be fearful. You're going to find some stuff. You're going to go into some dark places you don't want to go to. We're going to go there tonight because we're going to make a searching, fearless inventory of what's inside of me. That kind of knowing what's on the shelf. Let me ask you this. Do, do, why, do this why do the inventory, the shining of God's light in the corners of our life, why do this? Why, why, why go to the extensive process of this. Here's a few reasons why. It should be on the screen. Inventory will help you put words to what's been done to you and what you've done. That's always fearful. Putting words to the hurt is scary, but liberating if you'll do it. Writing them down. Saying it out loud from your mouth to your own ears. Inventory will help you find healing. When we acknowledge our sin, God forgives and he heals 
much of our long-term reactions to sin, think about it and all the things done, it harms against you, much of our long-term reaction to sin that's done against us are in themselves sin. This is the unfair part, but it's the true part. Unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, anger, hate, no trust. These are my reactions to things done wrong against me, and they are my sins because those are wrong even though they were for a good reason. Inventory is like a road map. It's walking back through your life for God to enlighten where you've come to. It's like if you follow the breadcrumbs far enough, you'll find where it all started, the real stuff in your life. We can't just stop at changing behavior either. We've got to go deeper to the root. So this takes us to the next point. What is a symptom problem? What is a symptom problem? Well, it's a problem that's the result of another problem that's deeper. Symptom problems are kind of easy to see. Here's an example. A guy walks in the back door, he's coughing his head up. I say, hey, what's this guy's problem? You say, he's got a cough. No brainer. He needs cough medicine. It's an easy answer. So we give the guy cough medicine. Now, cough medicine's not designed to take away a cough, right? It's just designed to suppress it, kind of, kind of help manage the cough. He's really grateful. He takes the cough medicine every 12 hours. So he's going through life, still kind of has the cough, but it's kind of, it's, he's been able to work through his job. And after about two weeks, he decides, you know what? I, I appreciate the cough medicine that kind of manages my cough, but man, I'm sick and tired of it. Like, there's got to be something different going on here. So he says, I'm going to dig a little deeper. He goes to the doctor, and they take some blood work out of him, and they do a blood test, and they come back and say, hey, dude, you have a lung infection. Who knew? He couldn't see that. So they give him 10 days of antibiotic for the lung infection, the part he couldn't see, the I don't know what I don't know. And after 10 days, it cures the lung infection. What happens to the cough? It goes away. It's gone. Because it's symptomatic of something deeper. And once you fix and heal the deeper, that symptom goes away. That's what a symptom problem is. So what are strongholds? See, strongholds come from relationship-based events that have happened in your life. Strongholds, the things that hold us down, they come from relationship-based events that have happened in our lives. A side note, words are very powerful. Words are a big deal. I don't know if you understand this, but words are a big deal. You know what they say, sticks and stones will break your bone, but words will never hurt you. Anybody who's, who's heard that? We taught our kids that. That's stupid and untrue. Sticks and stones will break your bone. Six weeks, my arm's good to go. But words, words pierced like a knife. That could ruin your heart and soul for years and decades, words that are said to you. I remember I was in third grade, first day of school, getting off the bus, Third grade now, what are you about? What is that, like seven? My mom had bought me and my brother matching green sweaters. Fuzzy kind. It was back in the 60s, you don't know. But I couldn't wait for the first day of school to wear my favorite sweater. And then the day before school, my mom took me and my brother, he was fourth grade, I was third, and gave us butch haircuts. Wah, wah. Nobody had one. And like my ears were this big in third grade. So, so you, are you picturing it? So there we are, the back of the bus, because we got picked up, you know, last. And so matching haircuts, green fuzzy sweaters, the last bus, to, it's like yesterday it happened. Pulled up in the, in the parking lot. All the kids are already in the playground. We're the last bus uh, to, to dump, unload, and we're the last people on the last bus. So as I'm walking down the steps of the bus, a sea of people that I haven't seen all summer, and my friend yells out from the crowd, he says, look at the monkey brothers. Now, I got a decision to make here. 
Do I laugh like the rest of them, act like it didn't bother me? Or do I cry and go back in the bus? So we, we kind of laughed it off. Kind of, you know, <laughs> kept going on our way. I, I look back at that day. You know, I never wore the sweater again in my life. Why is that? Because words are powerful. Words are so powerful. What if that day that guy would have said, look at those amazing sweaters. I'd have wore it every day, even in the 110 degree summer. Right? Words have power. Now, think of the words spoken into your life by people. And then you have the self-talk that we, we, you know, we repeat it to ourselves, breaking us down, holding us in bondage. That's just one area of the relationship-based events that might be, maybe have happened to our life. You see, you can't heal a root problem by only treating a symptom. You can drink cough medicine all day long. That, that lung infection ain't ever going away. And so most of the time, we take the symptomatic problems that we do see and we kind of, kind of man, you know, anger management, that's what you need. No, you don't need anger management. You need to know where it's coming from. Where are we going with all this? Where does the stuff in our life come from? You see, life happens, and along the way, we become something we were never intended to be. Now, take a look at this picture. Here's kind of how it works. You know how a tree works? It's pretty simple. You, know, the, you see the bushy green stuff on top, and then you've got the ground, and then you've got the roots that you don't see at all. And so focus on the four words in green. Hurt, offended, done wrong, abused. Now, these describe relationship-based events that have happened in your life from birth to 12, 14, 15, 16, or 58. Now, when those things happen in relationship, when, when those things happen in my life, those go down under the surface of my life. I call them spiritual strongholds. Here's a few hate, guilt, fear, shame, bitterness, insecurity, rage. And they begin to grow in me. Happened when I was third grade. I'll tell you a story when I was eight years old later. And it begins to grow in me, and I don't see, I start becoming something I was never intended to be. And then eventually pops up the surface symptomatic problems. What's Junior's problem? He's argumentative, shuts down, and he blames others. Well, those are problems. They're symptom problems of something deeper. And so tonight we want to get, like we started with, we want to let God all the way in. Down to that area we don't want to go. Because when we know what we didn't know we didn't know, God begin, can begin a healing process. We're going to hand out a little piece of paper right now. Y'all have something to write with. Real serious moment. No talking. Your leaders have a piece of paper. They're going to go ahead and hand them out right now. I'm going to put a little music on. We have those, right? Let's hand those out. Let's make sure everybody has one. Don't start working on it yet. No talking. Going to put a little soft music on. This is that moment. That we let God all the way in. No talking. Anybody doesn't have one? Over here is one. A few guys right here don't have one. Need another pin up here. Pen or pencil right up here. Now this is private stuff. This is not a group effort, okay? You don't look to your neighbor's very private inventory. Now listen, I'm calling you to take the bold move, folks. This is the night we started. We, this is the night we landmark the day we started the healing process of the brokenness in our life. That stuff down in the closet, we keep in the dark. We don't want to talk about it. 
We're going to bring it out tonight, put them up in the light, and let God shine on it. Here's what it says. Identifying hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Circle all that apply to you. You see a word on there that says, yeah, kind of, that's kind of me? Just circle the word. So take a couple minutes to do that. Raise your hand if you don't have a paper or a writing utensil, and they'll get to you. I think we have got a bit covered now. Take a couple minutes. Again, don't look around. It's a private thing. It's just you and your list. Got a question about a word? Talk to your leader. Got a question about what a word means? Ask your leader. done, just fold it in half so nobody else sees your list. No talking, no laughing. Just keep it serious. It's a serious thing. Most people have never considered identifying these words as part of their life. Now, I do this as part of the, my counseling process. I have about 400 of these in my office third graders to 75-year-olds, because we all have relationship-based events in our life. Give you a couple more minutes to finish up. Just get done, fold it in half. We'll look at that later. Go ahead and have a seat, Sam. That's yours to keep. All right, let's move on. Now you got your inventory. That's the fearless, the searching fearless process of my heart. Hopefully you were honest about it. Hopefully you were honest about this. This describes my life. I remember that day I was eight years old. Now I'm going through this process 18 years ago, I was in your seat. I was an adult, of course, 35 years old. And I'm in the middle of counseling. Life's imploding. I got 200 kids in my youth group. I got four of my own kids. I've been married 18 years. And life is imploding. And God is allowing this process to be in my life. I'm on the edge. If I don't, if I don't react to God properly, I'm going to get a divorce, lose my ministry, and life's going to be over. Because some serious stuff is going on in my life in my wife's life, in our marriage. And, we, and, we're, and nobody knows about it. We're trying to keep this big machine of a youth group going, 200 kids every week. I'm like, well, what are you doing, God? And God took me through this process. And in this process, when I identified my stuff, and, he, and this crazy old lady was counseling me and my wife separately, she tells me, write your life story. And in your life story, look for the little fence posts along the way that kind of describe an event. And if you have a memory, write it down. If it fades into nothing, no big deal. And if it leads to a different memory where it starts opening up stuff, just keep writing. Let, let God dig up the stuff you've buried. I said, I was kind of, kind of rolled my eyes. She said, oh, is that, not, is that stupid for you? I said, well, I don't know what the point is. I said, well, Grant, see, your best thinking of how you should deal with all the stuff in your life, put you right there in that chair. How's that working for you? I said, okay, I get you. It's just not working. I'm going to follow your lead. So... I'm in my office one day, 
upstairs in my house in Huntington Beach, writing my life story. And here comes this memory of Jimmy on the playground, uh, and he tetherball court, and he broke his arm. So I wrote that, and kind of like, yeah, it just faded to nothing. Not a big deal. Keep going. And I come across this memory of when I was eight. Out of nowhere, I, I hadn't thought about this. I'm 35 years old. And me and my brother were playing war with my cousin and my cousin's cousin out in the country. Country boys, there's, you know, there's no toys, there's no money, there's no, there's no electronics. You just make up games. So get the picture. Central Valley, California, country boy, boys, you know, farmland, ditches. And so my cousin and my cousin's cousin, he's like 12, like he's got like hair under his arms. Like to me, he's a grown man, you know, at eight. And so he says, we're going to play war, and you and your brother are prisoners of war. So we're going to tie your hands behind your back. It's a serious story. I mean, it will be eventually. Going to tie your hands behind your back. We're going to march you over to the orchard and tie you up in the concentration camp. So they're just making stuff up. So they tie our hands behind our back, and there's a ditch right here, and we're going to cross the ditch on a plank of wood. Uh, it's kind of so the farmers can get from one field to the next without going around out to the street. So kind of in your mind, here we are. Me, I'm seven, my brother's eight. Ties behind our back, and they're going to march us across this, this plank of wood to the other side of the ditch and tie us up in the orchard field because that's the war camp. What could go wrong? Just boys having fun. Now, this 30 seconds of my life ruled my life until I was 35 years old. 30-second relationship-based event, I'm about to tell you. So I go walking across this ditch bank. I'm writing this now at 35. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I just amazingly started remembering it. I don't know where I packed it down, didn't realize. And as I dropped off the other side of the ditch bank, I look over, and there's a dead possum rotting. It's, the maggots are all crawling through it. Its teeth are sticking up. It smells. I was horrified at eight years old. I'm like, oh, my God. And the guy, hold on, I timed out here. The cousin's cousin, the guy in charge, he tells me, look at the possum. Because we know we're war criminals, so it's like for punishment. I'm like, no. And he comes over to me, and he grabs me by the back of the neck, and he forces me down to the ground about that far away from it. And says, I said, look at it. And he held me there for like 30 seconds. I was screaming, terrified, crying. He's laughing his head off. And then he, my brother's kicking on him. He, he let me up. We all run back to the house, and me and my brother are crying, and him and my cousin are laughing. You know how parents are. They line us up, and they tell them to say, now, you guys say you're sorry. Well, we're sorry. They didn't mean it. They tell me and my brother, tell them it's okay. And we're like, it's okay. We didn't mean it. And you guys go play. That's all. Our, and then from that day at 8, I'm 35, writing this story. And as I'm writing this story, God's showing me, that's the day that, the, that the, the strongholds came into your life of insecurity, inferiority, and intimidation. And they ruled your life all through junior high, high school. I look back and I was always inferior to all my friends. I didn't know why. I didn't, God showed me this is what happened. That went into the surface, under the surface of your life. And see, and then what it produced in my life was a control freak. So in high school, I met a girl who all she knew was being controlled. Her dad died at five. Her brother abused her her whole life. All she knew was a life of being controlled. And why she would ever connect with me, a guy that was inferior, needing something to control, and we got together. And I controlled her. I dominated her. I, what I said she did. And so controlling her made me feel balanced to my inferiority, and I never even knew it. That's crazy. <clears throat> What is it in your life, what happened in your life, that created the strongholds of your life, problems, the things you circled on your page? 
After hundreds of hours of counseling with teens and adults alike, here's some of the top ones that usually come up. Fear, anxiety, worthlessness, depression, self-harm, thoughts of suicide. Those are pretty normal for kids your age going, just working through life. Kids that love Jesus, that they're living for God, still struggle with these things, some of the top ones. You see, remember this, what you feel is not necessarily the truth. There it is. What you feel is not necessarily the truth. It's just what you feel. You can't trust or live off what you feel, but many times we do. If you're like me, what I feel, it's, it's hard not to live by it. What you feel goes up and it goes down. It's rarely what's true. Now, what's true never changes. Who you are, how God made you, but I feel like I'm king of the world, and then I feel like I'm no good. And we live sometimes off of our, you can't trust what you feel. That's not necessarily what's true. Here's something else that's a fact you need to keep in your mind. The devil's number one attack against you. Now, there's a lot of the ways the devil wants to attack you. The number one way that he attacks you is this. He takes a piece of truth from your life, right? A fact of your past. Then he adds a bunch of lies to it. Think about it now. And then he wraps it all up. It's like, it's like green Play-Doh, a piece of truth from your life. Blue Play-Doh, a bunch of lies. And he puts it all together, and now it's just gray. It's like one color, one thought. And he fires it into your head all day long, attacking you. And then you believe, because it has a little bit of truth, you believe all the lies. I did this in my life for years. For years as a youth pastor, so inferior and insecure, he would put this in my head. You're just an uneducated country boy. And that was true. See, average student. You'll never be an effective leader. Nobody will follow you. You'll never be successful. Wrap it up. Boom, boom, boom. And even in my glory days of youth pastoring, when I was highly successful, I still saw myself that way. How crazy is that? Because he has a little bit of truth. I'm just an average Joe, and I believe all the lies. How often do I sit across my office from a 16, 17-year-old girl that at 8 years old she was sexually molested, and she beats herself down Every day, all day, how she sees herself in the mirror. Because the devil's doing this. You got molested at eight. That's true. You're dirty, worthless, and no, it was your fault. And he wraps it all up and he fires it into her head. And because it has a little truth, that did happen to me. She believes all the lies. And I see that over and over and over. Dad left. Yeah. It's your fault. They argued about you and that's why he left. You're not worth staying for. Wrap it up. Boom, boom, boom. A little truth, he left. Others are a bunch of lies. All day long, the enemy attacks our life in this way. Where, where are we vulnerable? What, what are the descriptions of our life? Well, it's on your paper. Right there is the things you struggle with. And we're going to attack those things. We're, gonna, now we're going from I don't know what I don't know, and now I know what I didn't know about my life, about what's in my life. What's holding me back from my life? See, that, that paper you have right there, that is the lens you look through. You know how you put a black and white uh, lens on a camera? What do you see all day long looking through it? Black and white. Even though the whole world's full of color, that filter only lets you see black and white. Now, if you just held that up in front of your forehead, that's, that description's of your life. That is a filter that changes how you see yourself, how you see others, maybe how you see God. And God wants to take that and remove those things from your life and put in the good things that he has for your life. Because those things are holding you down. You love Jesus? Yeah. 
but strongholds hold you down and to not live the full life that he has for you. And we don't even realize it sometimes. We just think that's who we are. Hey, that's not your identity right there in that paper. Your identity is in Christ. You are in Jesus is your identity, and these are the things you've become over time. And the good news is if you become those things over 10 years, you can become something else. Might take you a couple years to get there, but you're going to be two years older anyway. Might as well start working on it. Right? That's the approach here. The things in our life. Some of the real serious ones, let me mention a couple. Maybe you struggle with this, and nobody knows. Self-harm is a huge thing in the youth, youth culture today. I, I counsel kids on a Christian campus, Emmanuel Christian School, and I face this all the time. I sat one day, not from Emmanuel, but a kid from one of the Kingsbury schools a few years back. She was nine years old. They caught her at school harming herself. Called her parents, brought the authorities in. They said, we want you to go start meeting with Grant. Nine-year-old kid. Good God, what could be nine years old? Cutting herself? I asked her one day, and the, this nine-year-old kid just enlightened me. I said, why do you harm yourself? Why do you cut yourself? She said, Grant, here's why. Because for a short time, I can be in charge of the pain I'm inflicting upon my body and not have to focus on the internal, plane, uh, internal pain I can't control. I, I had to walk out of my office for a cry before I could come back. That's a lot of people. I work with a girl who had three times 51, 50, went, tried to commit suicide, took her to the hospital, locked her down. Then I met her. We started working. We had a three-year process of working. And at 15, she was a throwaway kid. Uh, her mom was a uh, drug addict, was raped by a, a pros- uh, her pimp. She was born on the street and thrown away for nothing. Somebody picked her up, and she was adopted by a family. But she had all this internal junk going on. And at 15, three times trying to kill herself, I had, we were working through her stuff, making her list. We had a whole list of the stuff that had been done against her that she had done and that had been done against her. We were working through the steps of recovery and finding healing and hope for the stuff that seemed hopeless. And I asked her one day, why did you want to die? She said, Grant, it's not that I wanted to die. It's that I did not want to live anymore in this pain I couldn't control. That was pretty profound. I wish I can tell you tonight that you can escape your past and wind up in a place of healing, but that's not true. You cannot go around this process. You have to go through this process. You have to be real. You have to take your stuff that you circled from the things that have happened, those events, that we push down here and we close the door and we say, we say things like, it's not a big deal anymore. It was a long time ago. It didn't really matter. It doesn't bother me. Time heals all wounds. Not true. None of those are true. There's one door to your heart. One door to your heart. And it went in when it went in at 4 and 8 and 12 or last week. When that, thing, that, that relational event went in your life, it hurt going in. And we pack it down, push it away. There's no back door. There's one door. And, and God will bring it up through that same door. And it's going to hurt coming out. But that's the way of freedom. We address it. We make what's hidden in the light, and we talk about it. That's what gives us hope. Remember 2 Corinthians 4 or 6, what we started with. He who gives us the light to be able to know his glory. That's what we're talking about tonight. We need hope. Many of us, we put the smile on, we say things are great, but hope is low. COVID for a year, hey, a lot of hope is lost. From people 
What is it to hope? It's to expect, to trust, to wait for. And when you have hope, you're like, you're expecting. You're ready to go, man. You, you feel it. Low hope, low levels of hope in our world today. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred or put off to another time. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So, see, hope is the guard around your heart. When you have hope and you're expecting, you're trusting, you're believing in, that guards your heart. It pushes back oppression and depression. Now, oppression is squeezing in from the sides. Think of it this way. Like events happening, mom and dad are fighting, boyfriend left me, got an F on the test. When, when enough oppression squeezing in, enough oppression happens, it causes depression, like deflating a ball. Anybody feel deflated? Hope put to the side just allows that to come in. We've got to build the hope back up. We've got to get the Jesus in here. We've got we to push back the oppression and depression by the hope we find in Jesus. That's what he promised. I remember the day we were at uh, my grandson's Pop Warner Championship Tournament. If they win, it's down in Orange County. If this team wins, they go to Hawaii for the national title of Pop Warner. Oh, man, we're excited. We're up by three points. There's five seconds left in the game. Now, picture, we have the ball. We only got five yards to score. All we got to do is snap it. Squats, just sit down. We are, we are winning the game. The hope is high on the sidelines. We're all, yes, yes, we've there's a lot of expectation, trust, believing in, right? Hope is high. And then like slow motion, he snaps the ball, just going to do a little dive. And as he goes this way, the linebacker blitzes in, takes the ball out of his hands in 95 yards. I mean, each step he ran, hope went down. We went from yes to wah, wah, that quick. Life's that way, isn't it? You go to school, everything's doing great, got your friends, parents are happy, got money in the bank, dad's got a job. One snap, one play, and like, by the end of the day, your whole life is hopeless. Happens all the time in life. I'm going to have Brian come up as we close. Inventory brings our stuff out of the dark and into the light. By God shining his light into the dark, unknown places of our life. This is vital. This is what we started with this tonight, right? Tonight, I'm going to let God all the way in. Those places we didn't go ourselves because they're fearful. They're scary. We did inventory. Now, God wants to start a healing process, and admittance is the first level of healing We'll talk about this tomorrow, but God said, confess your sins one to another so you can be forgiven. Nope. What did he say in that, in that passage in James? Now, if I confess my sins to Jesus, he forgives me, so I'm forgiven. For some reason, he goes on and says, on top of that, confess your stuff one to another so you may be healed. So brokenness and strongholds come from relationship-based events, and healing is is he, God uses relationship to bring healing. When we, when we share our stuff with your friend, your counselor, your mom, your pastor, that takes the teeth out of the devil. It takes it out of the darkness, brings it into the light, pushes the devil out, and he begins to tear, gr grind those things out of your life. Abandonment, hate, bitterness, resentment, worthlessness. How many people have I said, and they circled the word worthlessness. Almost everybody, that they're worth less. This is what I tell them, especially to the girls. Well, let's just rope everybody. 
Everybody I meet in counseling the first week, I say this. You get up in the morning, you look in the mirror in your bathroom. What do you see between one and ten? I don't mean your hair and makeup. The person in the mirror. When you look at you, what do you see? One is worth nothing and ten's God's gift to the world. What do you see when you see you? Most people from third grade to 70 say about a five. I said, I want you to burn this picture in your brain. There you are looking at you, you see a five. And there God is right next to you and he sees a 10. Why do you see a five and he sees a 10? And then I'll hold their little inventory up and it's like this. Because you're looking through this filter. It changes who you see you to be. God wants to come in and tear down those things, replace them with his character and his, with who he is in your life, where you can see the 10 that you are. Instead of living your life a five worth less than these. That's not the, God's plan for your life. And as he begins the healing process, you've come to realize, you've admitted, you, you have your paper. I hope you use that tonight in your groups and, and take the bold move and brave move saying, hey, I want to share what's on my paper. That's going to be up to the counselor of where, where that safe place is. Maybe it's a one-on-one, -on -one, maybe it's in your group. It's up to you, no pressure. But we bring it to the light God shines his light. See, now we know we didn't know. And God can do something with that. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that your word is true. The God who said light shall shine out of our darkness has given us the light of knowing God's glory in our heart. God, would you press into these young people right now? Would they sense your spirit, even though it's, it's, it's painful, it's a surging, it's fearless, it's fearful to go into these areas? We, I've never told anybody about that thing. But the things on our list, God, you can begin the journey of healing the brokenness and the bondage that is in our life because God's light shines into our darkness and brings light out of it. So God, touch these tonight as we leave from this place and we just ponder what's been said and what we've realized. We've gone from I don't know what I don't know to I know what I didn't know about my life, the events of my life, the strongholds of my life. And now I believe you, God, that you can set me free and start me on a course of healing that I can become over time all you've designed me to be as we tear down the strongholds and replace them with God and his characteristics and his favor. That when I look in the mirror in the morning, not in arrogance or pride, but I see the ten value that you see, God, and not the five that I see now, do it in the lives of these young people, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.